0: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited, and this is me, Steffi Cohen, and Hayden Bow. And today we sit down with Rob Kearney. Rob is a three-time World Strongest Man competitor. He's an Arnold Strongman Classic competitor. He's competed in the Ar- Arnold Australia, where he, he won. won, where he won, and he, as of recent, is the American log. Lift record holder, where he pressed 475 pounds. He is also known on Instagram as World's Strongest Gay, uh, which a name that he wears with pride. And today we talk a lot about um, the being involved in strongmen as a member of the LBGTQ plus community, the importance of the visibil- visibility of gay people in strength sports, The support that they get both from the gay community and from strength athletes. How it was for him coming out in 2014. uh, The sense of responsibility and pressure that he has, if any, from the gay community. um, As well as his training methodology. uh, How many times per week he trains. How does he train? What's his mindset like? And his nutrition.
1: As always, this podcast is brought to you by Go Strong Equipment. Right now, they're not taking orders. They're so backed up with all the orders they've been getting that they've put uh, new orders on hold. So hold off on that. Don't buy any other equipment. Wait for them. These guys are the best. And in the interim, you can grab some of their awesome apparel. Uh, You can find them on the internet at GoStrongEquipment.com and on Instagram at GoStrongEquipment.
0: All right. I hope you guys uh, enjoy this podcast. This was a really fun one. Sit back, enjoy, relax. Goodbye. Um, So it's the first thing that we wanted to open with is it's the last day of Pride month. And I definitely wanted to bring some awareness to that topic, given that you are, in fact, the world's strongest gay. Uh, (laughs) So we wanted to talk about your involvement in the LGBTQ community and, um, you know, how you feel how you feel representing that community and how has it been for you coming out and, and being in a sport that's so quote unquote manly. How has that felt for you?
2: Yeah. You know, for me it was, um, yeah. So I came out back in 2014. I had been competing in strongman. I started back in 2009 actually when I was only 17. And so I had a little bit of, um, you know, of a career in the sport. I had turned pro in the 105 kilo division in 2013. So I'd been around it for a while and, You know, really didn't think much of it when coming out to me, it was, I was finally realizing who I was, was accepting myself for that. And, you know, it was actually, I just started dating Joey, uh, my husband now, and he had been out for a few years and I didn't feel that it was fair to him to be dating somebody who was closeted. So I came out October 20th of 2014 and fortunately was just met with so much love and acceptance from the entire Strongman community. And my competitors and friends in the sport for years totally had my back and they were excited to meet Joey. And it was really, really great, um, you know, moment in my life. And there were obviously some assholes, uh, for lack of better terms who, you know, were calling me out saying that I, you know, I can't be a strong man if I'm gay. Um, just throwing every slur that you can think of, which actually, you know, still happens on a daily basis on social media today. Um, but for me it was, you know, the best moment of my career and not because that it projected me in a way because of my sexuality, but because, you know, I woke up every single day having to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. And that is exhausting, to say the least, you know, to have to wake up and think about how you're acting and pretend to be happy all the time. You know, it was it was torturous, to say the least. So after I finally came out, I was able to put all that energy in pretending to be,
0: Jesus, and, now it's me.
2: You know, put that into strongman and strength training. And really that's what changed the trajectory of my career. And you know, people always give me shit to say that, you know, the only reason I got to where I am is because I'm gay. Um, you know, forgetting the fact that, you know, I still have a 970 pound deadlift and I, you know, log press the American record. So it's it's pretty funny to see the parallels that people draw from that. But, you know, to me, it's, it's been really important for me to be, you know, like, like you said, the world's strongest gay as my Instagram name and really just be an open and vocal member of the LGBTQ community. I just wrote an article that just came out yesterday about the importance of LGBTQ plus visibility in professional strength sports and really just to any professional sport there is because they really, you know, when you look at LGBTQ plus representation in athletics, there is a dominant um, female representation when it comes to lesbian representation. There's, there's a good amount of women, you know, off the top of the head, obviously Megan Rapinoe comes to mind, Sue Bird. Um, these amazing athletes, but on the men's side, there really isn't many. Um, you know, we, there really isn't anybody we can think of in any of the, pro, the major professional sports that's an openly gay man that's actively competing. And that's why, you know, I really do use my sexuality, to my advantage, to help promote um, LGBTQ athletics. I think it's so underrepresented and it's so important for kids to see role models that they can look up to and they can identify with um, and give them a goal to work towards. And that's why, you know, I have been so vocal about, you know, being the world's strongest gay.
0: Absolutely. I think that, you know, being transparent, talking about it and and putting yourself out there and being a role model, representing the community is The most important thing, because, I mean, I would say that 10 years ago, I think this topic was still super taboo and was not accepted. You know, I I remember clearly like being in high school and like people making fun of people and calling people names. Whereas now, I mean, you, you from your experience, you were welcomed, you were supported. And I at this point in time, I couldn't see it being any any other way. Like, I think that people have evolved to become a lot more accepting and a lot more understanding of people's sexual orientation, people's religion, people's, um, whatever. Yeah, Does that makes them different.
1: I think the people who are still super bigoted about that kind of stuff are grasping at straws at this point, you know, like just to say things like, you know, you could, you only got as far as you did because you're gay. It's like being gay certainly didn't help you lift a log over your head, you know, <laughs> or deadlift what you deadlift or anything like that. So, you know, it's, I think there's, there's a, been a line drawn in the sand now where it's like, if you're on the wrong side of that argument, which is very obvious that, you know,
0: you are, if you are, yeah, you're
1: wrong, <laughs> you know, and and people are, people are very aware of that, but I actually did read your article, uh, uh that you wrote for barbend and, uh, did, were you, were you working with Jake Bolley on that?
2: You know it's funny that that article actually came out just because Barbend put up an image of um their Barbend logo with, with the rainbow, um and they got so much hate because of it, and the comment section, their DMs were blowing up, and I was actually talking to David, one of the owners, okay, and he had said you know he was really disappointed in the reactions that they got just because of a simple logo, and that's when I kind of you know I talked you know I know Jake pretty well. And they've, they've tried to get me to write for them for a while, and this was finally the first time where I felt that I had something valuable to give to them um, from a perspective that nobody else could give. You know, I think obviously I could write the log press article if I wanted to. I could write typical strength articles, but I think this is a, a different way of looking at things in the strength community that really I only have, I have the only kind of bird's eye view and personal experience to kind of project that message across. So it was a combination of talking to David and, uh, and to Jake about, about the best way to come across for, for the message that I was trying to talk about. Um, and luckily, you know, it came out fantastic.
1: Yeah, it was great. There are some pretty uh, scary statistics in there. Do you remember any of those off the top of your head?
2: Um. of LGBTQ youth uh, experience physical harassment because of their sexuality. Uh, 74% don't feel accepted in their friends or family group because of their sexual orientation. Um, I mean, just staggering statistics. You know, there was one that I didn't add, and it's um, an LGBTQ youth. Their chance of considering or committing suicide Will reduce by almost seventy five percent if they have one adult in their life that accepts them. Wow! Um, You know, just to show the amount that the the impact that one person can have on, on a child's life really is that significant. And you know, we look at LGBTQ youth are you know four times more likely to consider suicide than their heterosexual peers. And that's mainly due to bullying. And that's from both their peers in school and stuff they see in the media. You know, they don't feel that they have any worth and anything to live for. And, you know, I mentioned this a little bit and, you know, we'll talk to you guys a little bit more in depth that I received the message from a 16 year old boy about a year ago who said that until he found my page, he was on the verge of committing suicide. Um, because he couldn't accept himself for his own sexuality. He didn't think his family would, he didn't, he liked to work out, but he didn't think anybody in the gym would accept him for being gay. And he felt that he didn't have anything to live for because of it. Um, but because I'm pretty open about my relationship on Instagram and, and show everybody that you can be a successful strength athlete while being gay, it gave him some kind of hope. Um, you know, and that one message, I could, if I didn't get another single positive message for my entire career, it would still be worth it to me to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's its something like that is just so powerful that you can't explain.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, it's definitely uh, you have to put yourself in a vulnerable situation and be really brave to even send a message like that. So I'm sure even though you just got the one message, I'm sure there's many many other athletes who who you know feel the same sentiment that haven't reached out to you so i'm I'm sure the impact you're making is really big you also made um an interesting point in the, the article you were talking about how uh there's not a lot of uh representation in the lbgtq community in uh media like in tv shows and stuff growing up um but i what i've noticed recently just, you know, different Netflix shows and stuff is that they're... In se- every
0: Netflix show.
1: Yeah, it seems like they're really making an effort to include that, like, include that community or the the whole community, uh, you know, just with different characters. And at first, you know, just being ignorant to the whole topic, I was like, hmm, what's the point of, like, making, making a point of having someone yeah. with... Yeah, with-
0: we were like, what's up with this? You know, because we started noticing it, that it's, like, in every show, we're like, huh, huh? Just like every show now has like some sort of gay relationship, whether it's like two girls or two guys or whatever. And then we're like, ah, oh, this is why it had like, it's probably because just representation, right? Like trying to normalize that taboo topic and it makes perfect sense.
1: And it's also it's a, more, uh, a more accurate representation, I think, of society as a whole. Absolutely. Know? It's it's not society to just see 100% heterosexuality across the board and, you know, in everything. So
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah,
2: no, you guys hit it right on the head. And that's exactly it. I think it's great. And it's so amazing to see Netflix and all these other streaming platforms normalizing homosexual relationships and every kind of relationship in the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, why do they have to bring it up and all this stuff? And they roll their eyes. And it's like, you know, we exist. And, you know, the fact that it's 2020 and we're now just finally seeing that it's being normalized in the media, I think is ridiculous. And I think that's also why, you know, people like me and other athletes have had to make a point of the fact that we are gay or lesbian or trans. Um, It's because we realize that we don't have representation. So we kind of have to take it upon ourselves to take that step forward, make that leap of faith, proclaim our love for whoever it is, and show that we are just normal people, you know, and I'm one of the strongest men in the world that also happens to be in love with a man. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't change who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, um, a lot of people have this narrative in their head that, you know, gay men are supposed to look and act and be a certain way. And and that's been a big part of what what I've been trying to do is like kind of breaking that stereotype of what people think gay actually is mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't look one way. You know, I think the funniest thing is, you know, when I when I don't have my rainbow mohawk and people see me out in public and they see a ring on my finger and they're like, oh, what's your wife's name? That's mm-hmm. the first thing they say. Mm-hmm. And then I, re- you know, rebut that with, oh, well, his name is Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's always just like this awkward tension. And so like people automatically assume that I'm straight because I don't quote unquote look or act or sound gay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that we're really that I really want to try to get the point across is that, okay, like because I'm not I don't have a more feminine, um, you know, personality about me. It doesn't mean that I'm not gay. And vice versa, it doesn't mean that men who might be more feminine can't do strong men, mm-hmm. you know, so it kind of works both ways.
0: Mm-hmm. I must admit that I think my gut initial reaction when I found out about you was like, oh, like subconsciously, oh, wow, well, he's gay and strongman. That's interesting, you know, because, yeah, yeah. you're right. Like you you opt- you you don't think that those two things can exist in the same person. At the same time, I feel so um like, I feel like I can relate to a lot of the things that you're saying to a certain extent, being that I'm, you know, a jacked woman who is also feminine. I feel like I have a little bit of that as well there and in experience a lot of the the backlash and criticism from, I quote unquote, normal people, you know, people who are not yeah. involved in fitness. Um so yeah, but it's it's tough and oftentimes, like for me, it's like people don't people don't think that you can be feminine and also you can lift a lot of weight or you can be a strength athlete. Oh
1: well, yeah, people love, and people love to categorize people and make things black and white and fit everyone into their little section that they're supposed to fit into. And then when you don't fit into that section, you know it it makes them think, and people sometimes don't like that.
0: No, because <laughs> yeah, like again, same as me. Like the, people's immediate reaction when they see me on social media, if they're not into fitness. Yeah. Is to think that I look weird or that I look like a man or that whatever it is that they say. But I do think that throughout the years, I mean, you've seen kind of maybe it's because of the type of followers that I get. But I do feel like that's being normalized as well. Just like the perception of female athletes and how they're supposed to look. That's why I want to personally, I want to get more into like fashion and also change that stereotype. It's like, okay, now they've accepted plus size models, you know. How about what about the athletic people? Like, why are we getting the short end of the stick? Mm -hmm. I posted I posted I posted one time something like, you know, a hate message that I got. And it was something like, when did it become okay to to uh, body shame fit people And the amount of messages that I got from people saying that I should be talking about fat people, too, was like, (laughs) man, look, I'm not saying that you guys are not suffering, but I'm just saying, like, I get. Tens, hundreds of messages a day on YouTube, on podcasts, on Instagram from people telling me that I look like a guy, that I look ugly, that steroids, that this and then the other.
1: I also think that everybody generally knows that it's mean to make some fun of somebody for being overweight, whereas for some reason people get to skate by when it's somebody because it, we think of it as a positive attribute. So when people crap on you for that, it's like it's almost like they don't think it's as harmful. Mm hmm. But everybody has feelings. It doesn't matter if you're jacked or you're overweight or what, what you are. Um, Let's I,
0: transition into training.
1: I actually had one more question because oh, okay. I was interested. In, we we're always interested in the psychology of, of, of training and and competition. And I was curious to know if you do you, if you feel any sort of added uh, responsibility or pressure coming from the gay community to perform and to to be uh, you know a high level performer in strongman to get that visibility and to get the, you know, the, the message you're trying to get out.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I, which it's funny, like yes and no. Right. So I, I don't feel that there's pressure on me from the LGBTQ plus community to perform well at shows. Um, to me, I actually think that the opposite to me, I think like I need to perform well to kind of prove everybody that I belong there. Cause like I said before, like I get a lot of messages of people that say like the only reason I'm at, I'm competing at the shows that I compete at is because I'm the gay guy. And they want to have me there. And it's not for the fact that I'm naturally strong as fuck and can beat some of these people. Um, so for me, in my mind, it's like, you know, and I said this on other shows, like I, I read every negative comment and every negative message that I get. Um, because for me, it just adds glue to the fire. And in my mind, there's no bigger fuck you to that person who just shot me down than me holding a trophy at the end of the contest. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I kind of use that mentality and kind of kind of shutting up the naysayers, if you will, to really just perform really well. I think when, in terms of like, you know, relating it just to the LGBTQ plus community, I think just the fact of me being there is enough, right? Because it shows that a gay man has qualified for these events or is performing at these events and is doing pretty well. So the outcome doesn't really matter that much to that community. Just the fact that I'm there and being visible Mm -hmm. really does matter more than where I placed at the end of the show. But like I said, to me, I want to win to prove to everybody that I deserve to be there.
1: Yeah. That makes sense to me. You want to dive into training?
0: Yeah. I would love to hear about your training, like, what's it like? What kind of principles do you adhere to? What's your training split? Whatever else you want to share about your training.
2: Yeah. So about two years ago, I started working with Derek Poundstone, who's, you know, American strongman royalty, if you will, um, is one America's strongest man, just narrowly missed winning world's strongest man in 2008. And him and I have had a relation, a good relationship since about 2009 when I started the sport, So since working with him, he's actually employed a lot of the ideals that he trained with. um, And one of them is pain tolerance training. Hmm. So it is just, I mean, I will say, you know, these last two years, I have gone through some of the hardest sessions I've ever dealt with in my life. Um, So kind of breaking it down a little bit, my training split, I train four days a week. Typically, it's uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. So I have two pressing days, which are Thursday and Friday or Tuesday, and Friday. So, you know, Tuesdays are typically like an overhead movement. Um, and then Fridays I, I refer to it as my bro day. Cause it's like my bench and arms day. <laughs> um, Thursday, I actually squat and deadlift on the same day. And then my last day is all strong events. So that's pretty much what has been my split over the past two years. And, We kind of, we, 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 we go in a bunch of different directions. Um, a lot of it is, it depends on the context or what the year looks like for me, you know, being at this level, I tend to compete a lot. You know, if, if COVID wasn't happening, my plan was actually to do anywhere between 11 and 13 competitions between January and November of this year.
1: Wow. That's crazy. So
2: yeah, yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, if you're not Thor, if you're not Brian Shaw, if you're not like the the number one guys in the sport, that's what we have to do in order to kind of keep our stake. So, you know, to compete at the Arnold Classic in Ohio, only 10 athletes qualify for that show. The only way to qualify is either to win the Arnold Classic, to win one of the Arnold International events or accumulate points by going to every single one of the Arnold International events. Mm In the pro strongman circuit, we also have Giants Live, which is the world's strongest man qualifying tour. So you have to take top three at one of the Giants Live shows to qualify for World's Strongest Man. Or if you go to enough Giants Live shows and you're consistently in that top five, you'll also get an invite. And then on top of those, we have World's Ultimate Strongman that just popped up a couple of years ago. That's based out of Dubai, and they're starting to run more competitions so you know we're very competition saturated in the pro strong men's circle right now which leads to just us competing all the time so my training there's a ton of volume where i'm just non-stop um you know a lot of you know kind of break it down my squat and deadlift day is one of my longer days because it's two massive movements so typically um, i will squat first and that's i would say on average Probably four sets of six to eight reps, uh, you know, in that like eighty-five to ninety percent work. So super heavy, um, and for a decent amount of reps. And then we we'll move on to a deadlift, and that's anywhere from a conventional pull to a variation. So you know, Derek is on this snap grip deadlift, you know, kick right now, which I hate him for. <laughs> so just crushing snap grip deadlifts, and then we'll throw on accessories at the end, whether it's abs or some other things and it really just has kind of that split has worked out for me really well when training for the log press event that uh we just did a couple of weeks ago i accidentally went down to training three days a week so it was really just heavy heavy um on each of the three days so it would be a super heavy overhead you know typically the first day would be log press again in that 95 percent range for multiple sets of singles So I think about two weeks prior to me hitting the record, I had, you know, knowing I was going to be going for 475 on the log press, I did six sets of one at like 460. And then, you know, had a heavy squat and deadlift day on that next Thursday. So I had to work up to a two rep max on back squat. So I ended up working up to like 815 for a double and then had to go into heavy pulls um, where I had to work up to... Close to eight eighty, like four hundred kilos for like six singles. You know, and then the day three was just like heavy two board bench or heavy incline bench. Um and you know, fortunately the split has worked and I'm kind of staying on that same split right now and then adding an events day in on the weekend. So I mean, this past Sunday my events day was actually like four and a half hours long. So it was horrible.
1: Wow. But you said you did six sets of one at four sixty.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that's, that's really close to your American record, which is 475, right?
0: You think you had more? Yeah.
1: Do you, have you done more in training or? Is... Uh,
2: no, like the heaviest I went in training was, uh, was I matched my American record. So I hit 471 in training the week prior to the event. Um, but I mean, that being said, like the day of the, 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 press felt really good. I think I'm probably good for 490, Wow. right now um which is you know closing in on that world record which is set at 502 right now
1: that's eddie hall that has that right
2: no it's adrinus Savicus.
1: oh right well yeah. so i guess is that the goal medium to long yeah. term to take that uh that record down
2: yeah And you know i think um i think within the next year it could happen you wow. know being totally realistic i think you know if i go back and focus on it you know i got heavy for that lift I typically walk around between 280 285 when I'm in my competition season, and for that log press, I got up to like 295, um, so I was pretty big and heavy. But you know, it paid off, and the log press felt great. So I think I think you know, with a little bit more training, I think five crib will fall.
0: Do you usually just deload for a week? So you said you did you did the six singles at 460, and then a week later, you did, you did the attempt at the American record. So it's usually a week of like deloading enough or do you deload at all? Or do you just roll into competitions? Um,
2: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a modified deload, right? So, so I'll train heavy up until seven days out and then I'll do about two, I'll do two workouts the week of an event. Um, Those are typically a little bit lighter. Um, I I can kind of consider them active recovery compared to what I normally do in a training week, but I'll still be pressing and I'll still be doing some light squats and deadlifts and then. I'll take two to three days off completely prior to, to any competition or event that I do.
0: Interesting. How about conditioning? Do you do anything outside of, so you, you mentioned that you have one day a week of strongman type events outside of that. Do you do any extra cardio, any extra conditioning?
2: Um, I do like walking. is a lot for me, um, <laughs> but when, when the normal gym, when you know, I say, you know, quote unquote, normal gyms are open, um, you know, I, I I typically swim actually. Um, so I'll do like thirty minutes of interval swimming, um, where like I'm not killing myself, I'm getting my heart rate up a little bit. And that's like I, I again I kind of treat it as active recovery, but I don't do any like defined conditioning. That's typically in my workouts. Um, you know, Derek what he's been doing lately is I'll have a rep um total that I have to hit at a certain weight in a certain time. So for instance, this past week, I had 330 pounds on the log for 20 reps total, least amount of steps possible, but I only had a 12-minute time cap to finish it in. Um, so that's kind of integrating conditioning into the workout itself. What's sure. the what's
0: the average length of a Strongman event? It's like about 12, 15 um, minutes?
2: An individual event or a competition itself?
0: What's the difference between an individual event or a competition?
1: Well, the competition is the whole thing.
0: And what's an individual event? No, like, yeah, yeah, of each individual event.
1: No, in 15 minutes. Are you nuts?
0: I don't know. <laughs> the one Strongman
1: event
2: um, typically won't last longer than 75 seconds.
0: Oh, wow. I don't know why I um, was thinking that. that, I've, that I've, never, I've never watched a full Strongman competition. Uh, I,
2: mean,
0: I was actually <laughs> so there so with you a you few know, guys. We're doing a strongman log clean and
2: press for reps. It'll be typically right. max reps in 60 to 75 seconds, depending on the competition, which doesn't seem like a lot. But, you know, the way I equate it to people is like, imagine going out and just sprinting at 100 percent for 60 seconds Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it gasses you.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: So, you know, we really try to work in that, um, you know, in that kind of conditioning range for events.
0: Yeah. It's like heavy, short, uh, short period and fast pace. Yes. Got it.
1: Yep. fifteen <laughs> minutes. You've been watching that. too much CrossFit,
0: dude. I don't know because I've seen events where like they're they're carrying a stone and putting it from the ground overhead, and then they're carrying a a, a truck, and then they're pulling a, an ostrich. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What you guys do, man. You guys are crazy. I, you
2: know, I will say at the Arnold this year we did have a five minute event, and that's the first time anything like that's ever been done in the sport. Um, what was, it was that was event? Five different stones, and we had to clean and press the first two load the second two and then it was a 50 foot carry and we had 60 seconds per stone to complete the lift so that was like that event took me i completed it in like oh like two and a half minutes just shy of two and a half minutes and that was really hard
0: wow yeah and no, i i bet especially yeah. if you don't train in that range
1: yeah well and, uh, under load too and yeah. huge load as well yeah uh i wanted to ask you what what it was like, uh, the record that you set, that was on ESPN, right? Yeah. It's very cool to see uh, That's
0: so Strongman,
1: you know, sort of making it into those mainstream uh, uh, media uh, channels again. Um, I did, if
0: there's something, so they, it was only the the login press that they that you did that day, right? It was just one event similar yeah. to what Half did, right? Yeah. Just the deadlift.
1: Yeah. I want to ask what, what was the venue? Because it, it looked literally really well set up.
2: Yeah, so uh, God, it, you know, to be totally honest, it was a total shit show organizing this entire thing. So <laughs> originally, we were supposed to do it at my home gym. Um, and we had everything set up, we were good to go. And about a week before the event, ESPN came through and said, Yeah, we can't do it at the gym. The infrastructure of the gym just wasn't strong enough um, as far as like Wi Fi capabilities and electrical capabilities to handle everything they needed to bring in. So we had to find a TV studio that was kind of close. And luckily they, they signed on to do it for us. So, and they, they kind of like helped us out with all the production of it with putting all the lights and the smoke machines and everything like that. So they handled that, but yeah, we, um, I mean, it was just a hectic weekend, you know, like I mentioned, you know, I still have a full-time job outside of Strongman. So, uh, my job was actually two hours away from the studio that we were doing the lift at. So I left work on a Friday afternoon, had to pick up a rental truck, drive down to my home gym, like pick everything up, grab the log and the weights and the crash pads, all that stuff. Then drive it down to the studio to set it up on Friday night, um, you know, and then, wow. you know, get ready to lift the next day. So the hectic weekend, to say the least.
0: Wow. That
1: is crazy. That's all the, the grunt work that that people don't see. They just see the one minute lift, <laughs> exactly. but they don't see you setting up the whole thing yourself too. That's wild. Uh, what, what do you Luckily think? It of, paid off. What's that?
2: Luckily it paid off. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, all worth it for That's sure. Really. Well, what do you think about these um, individual lift sort of sanctioned events? Because I know when Thor announced that he was going to do it, there was you know, it seemed like the field was sort of split. 50% of people were like it's legitimate because they're weighing the plates and they're having good judging and XYZ and then the other 50% were like, you know, this has to be in a competition with other competitors and, you know, they had their reasons as well. Where Where do you sit on that?
2: I think it's awesome you know i mean so this was put on by world's ultimate strongman which that organization i talked about a little bit before and you know they made everything so legitimate that you couldn't get away with shit and try to you know try to undercut it or you know you know fake it in any way you know the amount of prep work that each athlete has to go through for this lift like you said it's measuring and weighing every single plate. Um, you know, everything had to be standard. They sent, they sent every athlete kind of like a list of standards that they expect to be met or else the record won't count. And I think the argument that, you know, Oh, it's not in front of a crowd or it's on TV is total bullshit. And, you know, I compete at these shows all over the world and all of these records are more legitimate than the ones that happen in a contest. You know, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever been at a contest when somebody goes for a world record and they literally have to strip the bar, weigh the bar, weigh the plates, weigh the collars, and then, you know, load it back up yeah, to call it a legitimate world record. And that's what we all have to do, you know? I mean, so it's crazy, you know, to say that, you know, we have an advantage because there's rest time and there's, you know, you're doing it on your own terms is, you know, the only difference really is there's no crowd in front of you, which as a competitive athlete, if anything helps you lift more weight.
1: right?
2: And, you know, I think, uh, you know, the argument that it's not a legitimate record is total BS. I think these records count and, you know, I think it shows and it proves that, you know, everything we did is legitimate.
1: Yeah. I was surprised, um, to hear any sort of pushback from the powerlifting community, especially because, you know, there's, a, there's a few legitimate feds in powerlifting, but there's a lot of, nonsense feds as well you know where you can literally just pull someone out of the crowd and be like hey do you know what a squad is and they're like i think so and then they're like all right you're a judge now you know so it's like if those are the standards that people are able to break world records uh, you know under in what's what's considered a legitimate competition the standard that you guys are being held to in in those world ultimate strongman events you've been doing is much much higher Mm -hmm. so yeah i think I, i think it's really cool and i think it's great for the sport um to sort of be able to showcase uh, individuals and personalities and stuff in a way that kind of gets lost uh, when it's over that sort of whole TV uh, production that happens at like World uh, world's strongest man, you know? So, yeah.
2: And the nice thing yeah, from an athlete standpoint is it, it, became more about the sport, you know, and it's one of the gripes we have as athletes is world's strongest man. Isn't a strongman competition. It's a TV show. Right. And that's the hardest part for us. You know, I mean, So to have these feats of strength and, you know, have one hour dedicated to an athlete who is just lifting was really awesome. And, you know, it came at a great time with with COVID and everything happening. I was just coming off of my Arnold prep. And, you know, after a big, long prep, like the last thing I want to do is really think about training. (laughs) So I was kind of in this rut and. You know, when they kind of reached out to me to do the record, it kind of, it lit that fire in my ass again to start training seriously again and kind of get my bearings and get back into it. Because to be honest, I took a couple of weeks where I didn't even step foot in a gym because I was just burnt out from training for the Arnold. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I And I can uh, speak to the television program sort of thing with World's Strongest Man because I was actually, I was actually there. I watched, uh, you know, it's, it's not too far away from us. It was in Bradenton, Florida. Yeah. And, oh, my God, just standing there in the heat, not competing. By the end of the day, I was sunburned. I was dizzy and dehydrated. Like the last thing I wanted to think about doing was lifting a weight. So I cannot believe that all you huge dudes were out there sweating it up all day with nothing but tents to cool off under. Dude, <laughs> and, out of all doing the places.
0: And it wasn't in the summer, too?
1: Middle of summer. Why did they do that to hot. you guys? I mean, that's I will
2: say it was better than the Philippines. I was the Philippines in 2018 was the worst location. I mean, it was legit like about 105 every day with 90% humidity. I mean, it was just miserable. So Brayton was better, but again, pretty horrible what? this year. Hopefully as long as the competitions happen,
0: happens, it's going to happen in November, um, which will be
2: much better timing. Yeah. Supposed and- to be back in Florida again, right? Yeah, we're back at the same spot, back at Brainsburg.
0: But November is a way, a way better, better date. Yeah. Way better date. I
2: don't yeah, even know. you if- know, it's funny. The, the best location that we've had since I've been competing at World was actually Botswana in Africa. So we were there in May, which is kind of the start of their winter season. And it was like 75 with no humidity every single day.
0: It wow, was gorgeous. beautiful.
2: And, you know, they, they have this tendency to go to these countries like Malaysia and all these these crazy tropical climates that just kill
0: the athletes. You, is, I mean, you would think that you they would pick the a climate that allows the athletes to thrive the most, like at least because what's the point? The point is to see them lifting the most amount of weight that they can or do the most amount of reps they can, not to like hinder them or prevent them from like actually showcasing what they're truly capable of because of temperature.
1: Is it like a macho thing? You yeah, to see you is guys out. perform in the worst conditions possible? I
2: don't know. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know, the makes- thing is, World Strongest Man is so secret that, you know, we, we typically don't know the location or the date until about three months before the event. Um, and then we don't get the events. I mean, literally for World Strongest Man last year, we got the events when we got there at the contest. So it, it's kind of this like big hush-hush secret contest that nobody really knows about until it actually happens.
0: Who makes the, those decisions? Is it, there's, is there a board or is it like one person? Yeah, it's or? like
1: CrossFit where there's yeah. just one madman making all the workouts. It's a couple of guys.
2: It's, um, it's, it's IMG. They're the, they own the, the company. They own world's strongest man. Um, and then also Colin Bryce, who's an owner of giants live that's the world's strongest man qualifying tour. He helps cause he has the strongman background to know what's a good and what's a bad event to mm-hmm. have a strongman competition. I mean, there are rumors that IMG was trying to get a, get us to do a max bench press at world's strongest man one year. And we would just all look like assholes and get hurt because none of us really bench that much.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever thought of doing something like a powerlifting meet?
2: Yes. Um, you know, I, I've done a push pull in my day. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, my biggest thing is, you know, I have, I have pretty horrible hips mobility. So breaking parallel on squatting would be bad. So I guess I don't want to be able to go WPO. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as far as, you know, I mean, I can, I can deadlift and bench with, with most of them, you know, like I had over a 500 pound raw bench and, you know, deadlift without straps. I'm sure I could be pulling close to nine without a hitch as well. So I think I could have put, put up a good push pull total.
1: That's awesome. That's, I
0: would love it. to have you at some of uh, one of our meets at some point. Absolutely, it'd be so cool. Yeah, it'd, be it'd be cool so for the cool. showdown.
1: It's it's funny how you guys say you don't, you'd look silly, you know, benching like you wouldn't have good benches. But yeah, that's hilarious. They're all over five hundred.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's. I think to me, it's like it's all relative, right? Because world's Strongest Man one year, they had a barbell clean and press as one of the events for max, and it's like, okay, here are these men that are you know three fifty to four hundred pounds, and the max is four forty, which is an okay number. But like you put 440 in front of an Olympic lifter, that's good. They're sure. going to do that. No problem. Mm-hmm. So to us, like we look like jackasses because this isn't a movement that we normally do. No, nope, no, nope, none of us actually have the mobility of a front rack a barbell. Mm-hmm. So it's these awkward, like muscle cleans, like continental <laughs> cleaning a barbell. Then it's like resting on the chin. We're trying to press it. It's bouncing. It was just ugly.
0: Man, you know, um, do you know who Fernando Reyes is? yes he's so he he's one of our coaches and he he trains at hybrid it'd be so cool to see them to train together hey eh? fernando you... just recently what did he do 240
1: his best i believe is 242 kilos uh clean and jerk
2: well if he can help me with my split jerk technique that'll be great as i inch closer for that world record on the log
0: so Dude, if yeah. there's one person that i would recommend for that is Fernando. I bet he okay. is an unbelievable coach.
1: I bet you guys would both be able to pick up some uh, cool insight from each other, actually.
0: Yeah. No, that sounds great. Yeah. Come whenever. Yeah. I mean, hey, Billy that. and I were looking for a
2: vacation spot, you know, so come to Miami. That doesn't sound too bad.
0: <laughs> come to Miami. You have a place to train. You have a place to stay. You yeah. got yeah. friends. We got meat in our fridge. What <laughs> <laughs> else can you I ask mean, for? I,
2: yeah, I'll have my sponsor send us some too if, I, if we come
0: down. Amazing.
1: So. It's perfect. Who do, who do you work with for, for meat?
2: Uh, certified Pete Matisse.
0: Oh,
1: yes. oh cool. We, so uh, do we. Yeah. Dave uh, sponsored a few of our events, and uh, oh, nice. they also sponsor uh, Alex, our, our, our GM.
0: Talking about meat, okay. so what's your nutrition like? Uh,
2: so I actually work with Stan Efferding.
0: Okay. Oh, cool. He literally just oh, did a yeah, seminar yeah, two yeah. days ago. I actually do remember <laughs> seeing his picture there. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh really? Yeah. yeah. He's um he's actually coming up to our gym uh you know in a couple weeks.
0: Yeah. So, that's awesome. Do you know how many calories you eat in a day?
2: So I'm down right now. So leading up to um the log press event, I was at six thousand. Oh. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's why I got up to two ninety five. So
0: how hard I'm was down. that? What was that? How hard was that to eat, to consume 6,000 calories?
2: It sucked. Um, you know, I mean, and you guys knowing Stan, it's, it's clean. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a total, it was hard, you know, especially working full time and trying to get everything in. It was just a lot of food all the time. I remember texting him the first week I was working with him. I gained like seven pounds in five days the first like five days i was on the diet i was like what the fuck is going on (laughs) like i had a back pump just going to the bathroom (laughs) it was horrible and uh the only thing he sent back was a pig emoji and then a (laughs) laughing emoji (laughs) (laughs) and uh but fortunately like everything balanced out and i started putting on some good weight and everything went well Uh, But it was really hard to eat that much clean food every single day, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. to cook breakfast and then just eating throughout the day. Now I'm down. I'm only eating about 3,500, which is much more doable. Mm. uh, I'm hungry a lot, which is fine for me after being miserable and full all the time before.
0: (laughs) Which
1: one's worse? Uh, I think having to eat overeat. Yeah, I think eating, overeating eating is, worse. is by far worse.
2: Yeah. If, I mean, if I was eating Ben and Jerry's 5,000, <laughs> great. Uh, but you know, I don't want to look like a fat piece of shit. So, <laughs> um, but you know, now that I'm back down a little bit, my weight's coming down again, I feel a lot better. Um, and it's just easier to get all the food in.
0: Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. How long have you been working with Stan?
2: Uh, coming out about three months. So that not that long. You know, I I started working with him actually when I started working with um, Piedmontese just because I was getting this influx of beef every single week and was like, well, you know, I'd always felt that my nutrition was like the missing link for me as an athlete. I had never really taken it too seriously. And for me, I 2019 was my best competitive year ever, but I just narrowly missed out on the goals that I that I'd set for myself. So I wanted to make top 10 at world's strongest man. And I had, I almost won my qualifying group, but I almost beat Thor. I I lost by one point in the qualifying group and then had to go against Luke Stoltman in the stone over bar and lost to him in that event. So I just missed out on making the top 10 at world's strongest man. And then at the Arnold, my goal was to make top five and I finished sixth. So I was right there at two of the biggest shows in the world. And for me, I felt. That if I can get my diet in order, it will bring bring my performance up that, to that next level and get me over this hump.
0: What was your so, diet like my, then? What was your diet like then?
2: Uh, it was kind of like a seafood diet, so I try <laughs> to eat smart, um, but I would stray away from sweets mm-hmm. and you know, kind of just like eating for fuel instead of eating with a purpose. Right. And I think that's where my mindset has changed.
0: Do you feel like a significant uh, change in increase in performance? I feel a
2: lot better. I mean, like I said, I got so freaking strong in the six weeks that, you know, my six week lead up to the log press event and working with Stan, I mean, I was hitting numbers that I didn't even think I could. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, like so prior to, to my final heavy week of training, I had never squatted over seven fifty in the gym. And then I hit eight fifteen for a double. And yeah. then, you know, I just kind of warming up for deadlifts one day ended up pulling eight eighty-five. Um pretty casually and not even really thinking about it. So like my strength went through the roof, which was fantastic. And I'm excited now that we're in a little bit of a different phase to kind of bring the body weight down a little bit, focus a little bit more on conditioning and being a well-rounded athlete while also maintaining a lot of this top end strength.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think a lot of people, um, don't know how big of an impact having your nutrition in check can have in your performance. I had kind of a similar experience to you where, you remember the first time I started actually being mindful of what I was eating? I, one, I felt a lot better in the gym and Mm -hmm. two, my, my numbers skyrocketed as well. For me, it was a matter of eating enough and eating the right foods, especially around my workouts. Yeah. It makes, it makes a huge, huge, huge difference. What, um, go ahead.
2: It's just one thing that I'm pissed off that took me 11 years to figure out.
0: (laughs) It's the, I, I think that, and we talk about this often. It's like, especially in strength sports, it's almost glorified to eat a shit diet. I remember when I first got into powerlifting, like, yeah, now I'm a powerlifter. I can eat shit. You know, I'm going to get huge. Yep. And and then I think that somewhere in the last five years, that switch have, has totally changed. Maybe the amount of people who are dying in bodybuilding and powerlifting and And Strongman, maybe that opened our eyes to the fact that there might be a better way. Like, let's watch our weight. Let's watch our blood work. You know, let's be smarter with all these different things. And, hey, you don't have to eat like a pig. You don't have to eat bad food uh, in order to achieve a certain body weight or lose weight or gain weight or perform a certain way. You can do it better. And then people like Stan did their – man, I mean, they they did the research for us. Stan,
1: BPAC. There's there's a lot of of more – knowledgeable people out there who are actually coaching as well. Yeah. It's making a big difference too.
0: Yeah. So it's like the nerds from the reach research world are actually making their way into their, into the meathead world. Now it's amazing. That's it's yeah, what we need. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But yeah, what, um, I wanted to ask, I forgot, I wanted to ask how you got into strongmen. Totally
2: by chance, to be honest. Um, so in high school I played football and was also a cheerleader And then would just kind of work out in the weight room. And it was uh, spring of my senior year in high school that there was a substitute teacher who came by the gym, saw me working out at the school, noticed I was decently strong, but not really in that good of shape. And he was actually a CrossFit coach. So he invited me to train with him at at his CrossFit gym that he was coaching at. So I'd actually go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning before school, um, get my workout in and then go to school and do all that stuff. Uh, found out really quickly that I sucked at CrossFit, but I was, you know, I was pretty strong and so they kind of took me under their wing and I started training and I remember walking in one Tuesday morning, they're like, Oh, Hey, there's a local strongman contest on Saturday. We signed you up for it. Um, I had never done it. I'd only seen it on TV. I'd never touched an implement, went to the contest at 17 years old, got my ass kicked and absolutely fell in love with the sport and everything that it had. So then I um, came up here to Massachusetts for college where they actually had a powerlifting team. So I joined the powerlifting team um, and I competed powerlifting for like two years, um, you know, and did okay, um, won some medals, which was cool. And then when I was at another local strongman contest, met the gym owner of lightning fitness, which is where I still train today. Um, And he was like, Oh yeah, like I'm starting to get some strongman stuff. You should just start training with me. So that's kind of how it went. I, I would go to the gym on Saturdays, um, you know, about 45 minutes from my school, train strongman with him. And, you know, then we just started competing all over the Northeast and just kind of snowballed into what it is today.
1: That's so cool. CrossFit is such a, uh, gateway drug for people who you know to all the strength sports for people who don't like cardio you know like oh maybe i'll go into crossfit what's this big rock in the corner Uh, oh now i'm a strong man (laughs) whoops you know (laughs) or same thing with weightlifters same thing with powerlifters it's just i think it's a great way for people to get introduced to all the different disciplines and then from there you know if you're not into crossfit as a whole you kind of through that exposure, you can choose which discipline you want to dive it into. It is, man.
0: It it has been such a blessing. CrossFit, like I, it, yeah. it absolutely pisses me off when I hear any <laughs> any either a powerlifter, strongman, or or a weightlifter or a bodybuilder talk shit about CrossFit. It upsets me so much because if it wasn't for CrossFit, none of us would be here because no one would care about it. That's the reality. Well, yeah, Rogue, Rogue burst on the scene because of CrossFit. Exactly. Yeah. You
2: know, I mean, imagine imagine our world without Rogue.
0: I, it's, it, might it, it, it might not exist. Yeah.
2: Exactly, it might not exist. Exactly. Even if it did, it wouldn't exist to the level that it's at now.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And
2: I think, I think that's so important. And I love hearing you guys say that. And it's like, I have so much love for CrossFit. I, I still, to this day, I think they are the most impressive athletes on the face of the earth. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, Matt Frazier and Tia Toomey are Unbelievable. free in nature. You yeah. know, I mean, the fact that, the, you know, Matt Fraser can clean and jerk almost 400 pounds and then rub a, run a sub six-minute mile blows my mind. Did like, I don't know how those two things make sense
0: in the same human. Tia um, you know? Claire, didn't she just clean and jerk 275?
1: Yeah, well, and two, she, she also went to the yeah, Olympics for weightlifting. But
0: 275, dude? That is insane. Yes, her. She actually
2: planned on going heavier. She just didn't have to at the contest. Yeah. It's
1: insane. <laughs> Which is stupid. Yeah, that's wild. That's, no, that's wild. That's crazy. They're crazy athletes makes me feel bad.
2: You know, like I had, <laughs> I had penguins in my workout this week and it was like two sixty-five. and I'm like, I'm that sick. And I'm like, son of a bitch. She can don't just don't look at this me. For a single, she's <laughs> like running circles around me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, what, um, so I love asking this question because it's something that I personally struggle with a lot. And that is, you know, especially you've been doing strongman for 11 years. So I guess at the beginning, You know, things are relatively easy. You know, you see improvements really fast. You're excited about coming to the gym. You know, you're excited about the novelty. But in strength sports, they're so monotonous and there's just so much that you can do, right? Like you just end up doing kind of the same thing over and over again. How do you, one, deal with the monotony and boredom of the sport? And two, mentally, like uh, how do you get past, like say that you, you had a goal and you didn't accomplish it. How do you find the strength to keep going and and try again?
2: So so for me, I think, I think the only reason I got successful into this level in the sport is because of my mindset from the beginning. Right. So, I mean, people that have heard me talk before, they heard me talk about like, when I started strong and I stopped, um, like to the point that I took dead last in the first eight competitions I went to. Wow. And my entire motivation was, okay, don't take last this time. And on that ninth contest I did. So what I started to realize is I would just make these like small attainable goals that I knew I could achieve and just build off of those every step of the way. When I started the sport strongman, I I had no aspirations of getting to world strongest man. I mean, I started competing under 200 pounds when I started this sport and never in a million years did I think that I would get to this level. But it was just by like setting these small goals that I knew I could achieve along the way is what got me to this place um, over the course of 11 years. And for me, it's that goal doesn't change until I reach it. So for me, like my goal was in 2019, my goal is still top 10 at World Strongest Man, top five at the Arnold. And that's not going to change until I hit that goal. And I think that's something that's really important that people need to realize is I think they get into this sport and they see people that are at the top level whether it's powerlifting or strongman or CrossFit or bodybuilding and they just automatically think that that's the goal and when you have that big goal and that kind of that dream it's really easy to lose sight of and get lost along the way you know if one thing doesn't go right you fall off the wagon and then you're you know you don't have anywhere to go from there. But I think it's by like finding those little successes throughout an entire career that help motivate you along the way. And, you know, it doesn't have to be winning at contests. It doesn't have to be competition based. It could be barbell based. Right. And so like, I want to hit this number and then this number and just move it up, incrementally like that. It's something that keeps it exciting. And I think in order to compete and keep that fire um, for me, I just kind of, you know, I attach my love for travel and the fact that I love to go different places in the world and I get to experience all these really cool things. And competing is just a great side effect. of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the big things. And, you know, obviously everybody loves winning. So that doesn't hurt.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, you know, for me, the mental aspect has been a really big part of it, because like you said, it's super easy to lose sight of where you're going in the sport or what is next, you know, especially during the time of this pandemic, like nobody knows when we're actually going to be able to compete and travel and see our friends again. But I think having that, having those little goals to set along the way and things, you know, you can achieve is what kind of keeps you on that path to success and uh, you know, achieving things that you never thought could be possible.
0: I love that. How about uh, dealing with uh, setbacks, injuries? How do you deal with that?
2: Um, you know, for me, I, I look at it as a, as a time of growth. So I'm fortunate. I've only had one serious injury in my career. So in 2018, I actually had an Atlas stone fall on my chest, um, at the last event of a competition, ended up fracturing three ribs, tore some muscles in my back and, um, it put me out, you know, I mean, to the point where like, I couldn't train or do anything. So, you know, that's not an injury that you can work around per se. Um, so, you know, I took two and a half months and didn't go to the gym and just focused on rehab and healing. But during that two months, it was looking at what could be possible afterwards. I took my competition mindset and put that into my rehab. So in my mind, if I was going to have to rehab this injury, I was going to be the best damn rehab patient ever. And I was gonna attack every single rehab session like a training session and really just work through it like that to make sure I was getting the most about it to get me out of this injury as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, it lit under fi- lit a fire under my ass to where my first contest back was the Arnold Australia and I won it.
0: Wow. Um, we were so there. I think
2: having that oh, positive right. mindset, um, you know, really whether it be in competition or dealing with rehab an injury is what kind of just sets you up for success in everything that you do in life. And that's not just competing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I think, you know, mindset mentality, it is just so, so, so important, especially like I said, in a, in a boring, repetitive, monotonous sport, like the ones that we are involved in. And I, I love the most what you said at the beginning uh, about how you didn't have any goals or, or aspirations of becoming the world's strongest men. I think that, The biggest mistake I see people make is getting into a new sport and then having that just huge, like grand goal of beating everyone or being top one or being the best in the world. It's like, no, man, just go and enjoy. And I always refer back to when I was 12 or 13 years old playing soccer. I did not care about anything. All I cared about was today and going to play soccer and enjoying it. And that yep. was it. And sometimes when I get caught in that mentality of like, I should be here and I'm not, I should be lifting this and I'm not, I always go back to that memory. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the gym and enjoy the workout. Cause that's all you can worry about.
2: And I think that speaks volumes too, because you know, and actually Joey, he reminds me of this all the time that I have my worst competitions when I'm too serious, yeah. if I'm having fun and I'm laid back and relaxed, I perform my best. You know, I went to the Arnold Australia with, okay, I knew the events were good for me and I could probably be like top five, maybe top three on a good day. I didn't think I would win, you know, but like that entire weekend, I had so much fun. Um, every event that I went into, I was like, all right, let's do my best. Let's see what I can do. Let's try to PR. You know, it was I had this relaxed um, kind of essence about me and that's when I performed my best. You know, it this actually came up a few weeks ago and I had a, a shit training session three weeks before the log press event. And I was so down on myself. I was like, well, there's no way it's going to happen now. This is the weight I should be hitting. Um, and Joey was actually the one that reminded me of that. He was like, yeah, your attitude sucks. Like I was, I was being a bitch and he called me out on it. And that, that made me realize it's like, you know what? Like when I just take a step back, I take a breath, calm down and just enjoy what I'm doing. That's when I performed the best. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what I did on the day of my long press record. Mm-hmm. I was joking around with people. I mean, you know, luckily, like you guys couldn't hear me when I was off air because I was just having a blast. I was singing, dancing, <laughs> um, you know, just having a good time. Like, And I think that's another thing that people need to realize. Like when you take this shit too seriously, um, you don't end up getting all the results that you want.
0: No. No, it it sounds cliche, right? Like you got to love what you're doing or you got to have fun while you're doing it. But it is the truth like that. I think that that's the key to longevity in a sport and in a sport that requires strength development. Longevity is the name of the game.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's you know, people think like you're going to get into this sport and get to the top in three years you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it took me eight years just to get to the heavyweight level of the mm-hmm. sport. You know, never mind getting the world's strongest man and getting to doing the stuff that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is monotonous. It, it can be boring at times. It is stressful as hell. Um, but like, you know, when you look at the bigger picture and realize what you're doing, it's it's unbelievable and it's so much
1: fun.
0: Yeah. Are you yeah. going to say something? I caught you off.
1: No, I just think that I think they're, they're, it's important for people to figure out what sort of thing works for them in terms of mentality as well. You know, I think a lot of people, there's some people who do perform well, you know, when they're very focused, they're really dialed in. Uh, And there's some people who, you know, like you, you know, you perform better when you're goofing around and having a good time and, you know, all that stuff. But uh, one of my favorite lifters to watch uh, in Olympic weightlifting is Ilya Illin. I don't know if you're familiar with him. If you ever see him in the back room, he literally looks like a little kid on the, on the play like on the playground, completely distracted, you know, annoying everybody else in the weight room. And then it's like, his coach is like, Hey, Ilya, we got to lift. And he's like, Oh, really? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you got to come lift." And he's like, okay. And he runs out there and he, he sets the world record and gets off the stage, you know? And it's just like, he's totally dialed in and confident in, in, in his approach. And I think, you know, as long as you take that approach, uh, whether it be being, you know, highly focused or. Or just really enjoying Well,
0: because you, you can take it seriously and still like have a positive attitude that's and like true. enjoy it. But you you're still there, you're putting in a lot of a big effort, you're like, you know, dialed in. But
1: So I guess that to refine that is just enjoyment looks different for different people, maybe.
0: Yeah. And but they, it's but it's in your head. It's inside yeah. your head. Whether you think you're enjoying it or you're putting an unsurmountable amount of pressure and you're thinking that if you don't do this then it's the end of your career or the world. Like that's just gonna make you perform worse. Yeah. Do you ever Have you ever worked with any sports psychologist?
2: You know, I haven't. And it's something that I would like to do because, like, you know, the more I'm getting into the sport and the higher level I compete at, realizing, like, the negative impact, like stress. So like, you know, you're talking about like, if you're taking things too seriously, it's elevating stress levels. And that's just going to take so much energy out of you for performing the lifts that you're doing. Um, so I think it's, it's one of those like untapped gems and what we do is sports psych. And I think that, you know, a lot of people could really, um, you know, excel if they kind of use that as one of their tools.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to connect you with my sports psychologist. He does all everything online. Uh, like all his consultations are online and I saw him, I think, two years ago for the first time, like before one of the U.S. Opens. And it was one of my best years by far, especially mentally. Like I was able to stay totally even keeled throughout the entire competition after bombing my first two squats. I was like, don't care. You know, yeah. went in, crushed my third squad. I just felt so strong mentally, both in training and in competition. What I loved about sports psychology, especially his approach, is that it's not I don't know if you've ever been to counseling, but, you know, counseling is a lot about talking about emotions. This is not not that much about or emotions in the past. This is more talking about, okay, what are you struggling with today and giving you tools and strategies to act better and to and to essentially master your mind in training. So I love that. he's incredible. I couldn't recommend him. and couldn't recommend him enough. I'll, I'll set you up with him. And if yeah. you decide to work with him, it'd be cool. I I'd be curious to see how it improves your, your performance.
2: That's awesome. Thank you.
0: Cool. Yeah. We're approaching the hour mark and I want to be mindful of everyone's time. So, but before we head out, where can people find you?
2: Um, so, you can find me on Instagram at World Strongest Gay, uh, on YouTube at World Strongest Gay, or online at worldstrongestgay.com.
0: Easy enough.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Rob.
0: Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it, guys.